Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and still do now. For your faith is built on this wonderful message, and it is this good news that saves you if you firmly believe it. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important, and what has also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve apostles. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died by now. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, I saw him too, long after the others, as though I had been born at the wrong time. For I am the least of all the apostles, and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church of God. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and that means that Easter's just around the corner, and many Christians will be glad to celebrate the resurrection of uh, Jesus, um, but also probably a, a kind of resurrection of the church as services begin again after uh, pandemic uh, um, restrictions are lifted. Well, the Baptist pastor uh, and theologian Paul Beasley Murray has said that whilst Easter Sunday is the most exciting Sunday of the year, uh, despite that, Easter sermons can be amongst the most boring uh, of the year uh, because they're predictably the same year after year. Uh, like Christmas, we are so familiar with this story that we miss its wondrous, life-changing impact. And so we are challenged again this year uh, to try and, and come to the story again in a, as though for the first time in a fresh way. When we consider the resurrection of Jesus, two questions have dominated Christian writing and preaching. Firstly, did the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus actually happen? And secondly, if it did, uh, well, what difference does it make? It's fair to say that more has been preached and written about the first question than the second, and Frank Morrison's famous book, Who Moved the Stone, is probably the most famous example. The question of the historical fact of the resurrection is, is very important. It's a question that needs to be answered, because if it didn't happen, then the cross means nothing. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. And of course, if it didn't happen, then the second question of what, what difference it makes is irrelevant, it's pointless. Uh, but in 1 Peter 1, the apostle says that we've been given a living hope through the resurrection. Uh, and so if it never happened, then that hope is a house of cards. Yet Peter chose his words carefully, and the word that's translated as hope conveys more than its English equivalent. Far from being a vague, wishful thinking, it means a profound certainty. Uh, the living hope, the profound certainty that we have in our salvation and the message of the gospel rests upon the certainty of the resurrection. As theologian David Garland writes, if this core belief proves to be a delusion, then everything else they believe from this preaching of the gospel is discredited. If Jesus was not raised, then the gospel is not good news, but a hoax that has no real power to change lives or to do anything else except deceive. 
So it's a question that we have to answer and we have to begin by accepting that we can't prove uh, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, that it happened in history by any kind of modern uh, scientific means or in any modern scientific sense. But that doesn't mean that there's no evidence for it or it's unreasonable to accept the resurrection as historical fact. And we're going to look at some of those uh, that evidence today. And firstly, we begin with the assertion that Jesus was really dead and buried. Uh, in fact, Paul makes it clear in these verses, and it's something that all of the eyewitnesses agree on. Jesus' family, his disciples, his enemies, the Pharisees, the crowd, the Romans, no one suggested that he wasn't really dead. Although having said that, uh, Muslims believe that God took Jesus off the cross just before he died and replaced him with Barabbas and made him look uh, like Jesus. But the witness testimony, the eyewitness testimony, points to the fact that it was Jesus on the cross and that he was dead. In John 19, the Roman soldiers went to break the legs of the prisoners to speed up their deaths because of Passover. But they didn't need to break Jesus' legs because they discovered he was already dead. And it's highly unlikely that battle-hardened Roman soldiers who'd witnessed countless deaths would get that wrong. Uh, furthermore, the Romans were experts at death, especially crucifixion. They knew what they were doing and no one survived crucifixion once they were nailed to that cross. So the witnesses on all sides agree that Jesus was dead and that he was buried. In fact, the Jewish leaders were so afraid that some of Jesus' disciples might steal the body that they got Pilate to post a guard outside the tomb to prevent that. When the Russian writer Dostoevsky saw the painting The Body of the Dead Christ in the Tomb by Hans Holbein the Younger, he was completely overwhelmed by it. There's no glory or, or victory in this painting. We see the body of Christ bearing the marks of torture, already showing the first signs of decomposition. Dostoevsky referred to the painting several times in his novel The Idiot, where he writes, As one looks at the dead body of this tortured man, one cannot help asking oneself the peculiar and interesting question. If such a corpse, and it must have been just like that, was seen by all his disciples, by the women who followed him and stood at the cross, how then could they possibly have believed as they looked at the corpse that the martyr would rise again? Here one cannot help being struck with the idea that if death is so horrible and the laws of nature are so powerful, then how can they be overcome? How can they be overcome when even he did not conquer them? Holbein's painting showed the stark reality of what it meant for the word to become flesh and dwell among us. It meant death. Another thing that everyone involved in the crucifixion were agreed on is that on the third day, the tomb was empty. Tim Keller notes that the fact that this happened on the third day shows that Jesus' resurrection was an actual event with a timestamp. He then points to the list of different people that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 who saw the risen Jesus and suggests that this extensive list challenges the modern idea that it was a hoax. According to Paul, who as a devout Pharisee had been an enemy of the gospel of Jesus, 
There were hundreds of eyewitnesses. He even points out that some of them were still alive at the time that he wrote to the Corinthians. It's almost as if he's saying, look, if you don't believe me, go and ask them. They're still around. Although many people have dismissed these accounts as mythical stories, the fact is that the risen Jesus appeared to hundreds of different people in different places, in different settings, and that many of those witnesses were alive when Paul wrote this letter and could be contacted to give their account if necessary. Keller also makes the important point that Paul is writing as though actually the Corinthians would be unwilling to accept a claim of resurrection without evidence. In other words, they were sceptical. They weren't just willing to believe it because Paul said so. However, the gospel that Paul preached to them, and in which the resurrection is a key fundamental aspect, is verifiable by eyewitness testimony. It's not based on a fantasy of religious delusions. And so all parties at the time agreed that Jesus was really dead, that he was really buried, and that on the third day the tomb was really empty. Keller writes, if we only had the empty tomb, then we could plausibly claim the body was stolen. If we only had the testimonies, we could say they had to be fantasies. Together, they give evidence that something extraordinary happened. Applying the principle of Occam's razor, the simplest explanation, which is probably the truest, is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. But another type of evidence for the resurrection is actually its very implausibility to both the pagan and the Jewish mindset. Scholar N.T. Wright notes that one of the most common and somewhat arrogant assumptions that modern people make is to think that in ancient times people were far less sceptical about claims of miracles, especially resurrection. We are so certain of our own intellectual superiority, we naturally assume that, well, the ancient peoples were less intelligent, less enlightened, they lacked our scientific knowledge and know-how, and so they found it very easy to believe in a wild story about resurrection. But according to Wright, almost no one uh, in the ancient world believed in actual bodily resurrection. People then were much more closely familiar with death than we are today. Disease, natural disasters and violence made death in all its brutal ugliness and finality an ever-present reality in people's everyday lives. No one doubted the finality of death. In Jesus' time, the Jews certainly believed in resurrection, but they believed it would only be the righteous who would be resurrected and even then it would only be at the end of history when God would renew all creation and punish the wicked. We also know that in the first century there were quite a number of Jewish messianic movements that all ended with the death of their so-called messiahs, at which point people either abandoned the movement or just went after another messiah. The bodily resurrection of Jesus, or anyone for that matter, would not have crossed anyone's mind. And in fact, the question that was on the mind of the women on their way to the tomb after Passover to properly anoint Jesus' body was, how are we going to move the stone? 
In other words, they expected to find the tomb uh, exactly as they had left it, with the entrance blocked by a large stone and the body of Jesus inside it. It was not faith in the resurrection or belief in resurrection that led them to the tomb that morning. It was loyalty and love for Jesus. The disciples were certainly not expecting Jesus to be resurrected. They all ran away when he was arrested. They were probably laying low behind closed doors, afraid that they would be next to be arrested and perhaps crucified. And according to Luke, when the women came and reported that Jesus had risen, that they'd seen him, they didn't believe them. They thought it was nonsense. As Wright says, whatever it was that the early Christians were expecting, wanting, hoping and praying for, this was not what they said after Easter had happened. Something had happened. Something which was not at all what they expected or hoped for. Something around which they had to reconstruct their lives. And that leads us to another kind of evidence for the truth of the resurrection. Namely that the lives of the disciples were completely transformed by it. And in fact they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming it at great personal cost and they changed the world. The resurrection was one of those matters of first importance that was passed on to Paul that he passed on to the Corinthians. Several times in his letters, Paul talks about the hardships that he endured because of that gospel message. The book of Acts tells story after story of imprisonment, beatings and martyrdom. It seems extremely unlikely that they would have staked their lives on something that they knew to be a lie, a hoax or a fantasy. Again, the most likely explanation is that Jesus, uh, the risen Christ, that they, he did rise again from the grave, that they sacrificed the rest of their lives to tell others that Jesus had risen because it was true and because it was supremely important. As Paul writes in this passage, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. When Thomas the disciple doubted the truth of it and challenged the other disciples, Jesus appeared before him and said, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. He had a physical presence. Belief in Jesus is not a leap in the dark, but it's based on real events from history, namely the historical reality of the life death and resurrection of Jesus. To reject the resurrection is to reject the gospel and its power to save because the faith that saves is faith in the atoning death and the bodily resurrection of Jesus. In the incarnation God took on a physical body. That physical body died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and it was that physical body that God the Father raised up on the third day. The goodness of the good news of Jesus is that it gives certainty 
to our hope of resurrection, for Jesus has already been raised, the first of many brothers. And furthermore, as one writer puts it, the hope created by the resurrection undercuts the desperate search for security that leads to sin of all kinds. Because Christ has rescued us through the cross, the future is secure already. There is a solid place in which to stand. The future is guaranteed because of the cross of the crucified God. And this means that the present is transformed in every aspect of life in this world. The resurrection changes everything. It says that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. And what we're going to consider next week is how it changes everything why it changes everything. For now, I pray that you will know the presence of the risen Christ with you, wherever you are and whatever your circumstances are, whatever you're facing in the week ahead, that you will know the presence of the risen Christ, uh, not just as a historical reality, but as a present reality in your life in the week ahead. May God bless you.